Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Stars daily sports podcast. It's Wednesday, May 3rd, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. This week, we've heard from others about the performance of the Chiefs and of Kansas City in the NFL Draft. But I wanted to hear what our folks had to say about it. So on today's show, you'll hear from columnists Vahe Gregorian and Sam McDowell, along with beat writer Jesse Newell. Listen, you can't properly evaluate a draft until the players play, and even then it takes a few seasons. But you can ask if the team attempted to fill needs, and I think the Chiefs did that. As for the city's performance holding the draft, I thought it did a great job, especially considering it was a first-time effort. We talk all about it with Jesse, Sam, and Vahe. Let's get going. So is it, is it true that Brett Veach actually uh, executed trades on four of the seven picks? Excuse the background uh, noise on that. But that's, that's a nice way to introduce <laughs> Sam talking at all. <laughs> Was it four of the seven? Because two, three, four... He moves up, and then seems like with uh, the, the, with six there was a trade involved with that. I don't remember him. The old Tyree, the one of the old Tyree Hill trade still too, right? So I, I think so, and that got flipped for a trade that the Chiefs or, or a draft pick that the Chiefs are going to have next year. So the Tyree Hill trade is going to go in perpetuity, I think. <laughs> <laughs> There, there will always be a late round pick for Tyreek Hill for the Chief, available to the Chiefs. Well, that you know, another way to measure it too will be like, okay, the length of the last person affected by the Tyreek Hill uh, trade's career. Like, somebody will still be around in actually 20, played 35. in the WHA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, I just to me one of the interesting, the most interesting aspect about the Chiefs draft was trading up in the second, third, and fourth rounds for who they received. And we heard Brett Veach on this podcast yesterday talk about it. I, I couldn't help but wonder, though, if those guys would not have been around if they had not traded up. You know, what was it, three spots for um, – if it was in the third round, I think. Uh, whatever, whatever number it ended up being, the players they got – I thought would have been available later. There's no way of actually knowing that, right? But uh, um, but they went into the draft with 10 picks, ended up with seven, and not one of the draft picks is one you would consider to be uh, you know a blockbuster, uh, you know, a big difference maker uh, going into this year. So I guess long way of saying I flunked the Chiefs for this draft. There it is. <laughs> Did, you? Did you flunk them? I didn't flunk them. He would. I would have. But listen, I think they were they were limited. Um, they're limited by their success in this, right? They're um, drafting thirty first and picking last in, in in all the rounds. So you can only do so much. I, I do think one thing that got revealed with this draft was, I think we'll look back and say it wasn't a great draft uh, for anybody. It just wasn't. It was just one one of those years where it may not have been a great draft. Isn't that the reason that the fourth round pick? trade really stands out more than the others though is because they traded a pick from next year's draft to get him right. and I thought the whole draft Brett Veach was basically telling us what you just said that he doesn't like this year's draft class because he's trading seventh round picks and the equivalent of a sixth round pick like one of those trades was pretty complicated but it was the equivalent of a sixth round pick you might remember which one Jesse but um, so I thought he's just he's given up late round picks in a draft that's not that deep and we heard the draft wasn't that deep. You hear that pretty frequently. It seems like going into all drafts. But it was like, this is actionable that shows there's not 
it's not a deep draft, but to give up a pick next year, a fifth rounder next year, to move up like 15 spots in the fourth round, like that trade was not that like. They didn't get their value out of that trade, regardless of what the player turns out. So I think you can look at this in different ways, guys. Um, you can grade them very well in that they stuck to their positions of need, and they stuck to players and positions where you get great surplus value from the draft. Edge rusher, receiver, offensive tackle. So they stuck with the plan there. They potentially were trying to trade up in the first round. They did not do it because the price was too high. Again, you give them credit for the discipline it takes to say, hey, maybe a Z Flowers isn't worth a first, a third, a fourth, and a fifth, and you basically give up your whole draft. But I'm with you, Sam. It's You mentioned the trade, uh, Blair. You traded this year's sixth-round pick to the Cowboys for a fifth-round pick next year. That's a great trade. You know what I mean? And these yeah. picks are worth something. And you talked about the Chiefs. Uh, I asked Brett Beats that question yesterday to say, you moved up in the second, third, and fourth round. What, were your, what was your thought process? And he said, well, we trust our board. We trust our board. We trust our board. It's an interesting comment. I don't know if you, you recognize this or, or heard it um, when he talked about it, but he said that Connor, the, the cornerback they took in the fourth round, was almost the same draft grade as they had on Wanye Morris in the third round. And so that's why they moved up to get him. But, again, there is sort of a, a science art to this, which is just because a guy is high on your board – doesn't mean he's going to get taken by somebody else. And so for the Chiefs to use real draft capital that is worth something to go up and get these guys, uh, you know, if you look at some of the studies out there, losing this sort of draft capital is probably the biggest mistake you can do. Now, this, again, they didn't trade for the first-round pick. They didn't go what do what the Texans did and trade away a first-round pick next year. They didn't do anything crazy off that. But it, it felt to me, I kind of thought of this analogy in my head, is like they had a $200 per diem for the weekend, and they spent 15 bucks on the first day. And then the next day they just went, okay, well, we're going to buy the steak and the lobster and everything else. But to the earlier point, those picks are worth something. And if they weren't going to be Kansas City Chiefs this year, you potentially could go trade to somebody else who needs more picks and say, hey, we'll take one next year. And, and that's how teams like the Chiefs can really stockpile. They didn't have a lot of needs this year, but if you trade them for future picks, then you potentially can – continue it's almost like putting money in a bank with interest you know you, you get that value back in a future year it just it felt a little bit i don't know it's, it's like they had all these picks and they just wanted to use them at some point and didn't want to sweat anything out but uh, they really did it felt different to me this year last year they let value fall to them this year they got laser focused on three guys they really liked and they come hell or high water they're going to trade up to get them and so it just felt like a little bit of a pivot to me and so that that to me is probably the thing i question the most it, it's interesting because i think you could look at it a couple different ways one way would be that, that I, I don't think i have your per diem analogy but maybe the how the, uh, something in in your wheelhouse the house money concept <laughs> that they did have these things in mind i we can't know fully behind the scenes how they really looked at some of these things, but I think Brett made this point a couple of different times. There was somebody sitting there, felt about right to them. Maybe they didn't have to trade up to get them, but they're kind of like, let's not mess around. Let's just get them. We got the capital. You know, it, it, at least that that's how I read how Brett was putting it. Um, so... You know how will it play out? You got one guy here saying they flunked. Um, I I don't know, but the same guy who said that he'd flunk this class also made a really interesting point to me the other day, uh, Blair Kirkhoff, that that they've had pretty good success with day three 
over the last few years. That, and that was the point I was going to make, Valle, is that you can't poo-poo sixth-round picks you trade away when last year's Super Bowl team had two seventh-round picks who started for you and made huge contributions. Two seventh-round picks, and even beyond that, they had five guys from, including Noah Gray, who just sort of incidentally started the Super Bowl, but five guys started the Super Bowl who were in the last three years of third-day draftees. 11, 12 on the team. 12 on the team from those days, from the last three years. Uh, 11 on the team from the last three years, 12 total. So, it, it, I don't know, you guys, I think, understand the, the um, profiles of these guys more deeply than I do. But I feel like I look at the, the track record and I think, okay, there's, there's a method to the madness here. Let, let's see how these guys play out. It's, it's important to know like how the Chiefs build their board, though. Like, it's not. I mean, certainly there's a number numerical order to it, but it's not just about like the gap between two and three can be different than the gap between player three and four on your board. And the Chiefs get in spots where they feel like there's a separation of tiers, and therefore that's when they got to go get somebody because that's the last guy remaining in a tier. Or maybe there's two guys left in a tier and they're 15 picks away, like in the fourth round. And therefore, to get one of the guys they want, they're going to have to make the move now. Not every team above you is willing to trade. They have guys on their board that they're ready to take. And so if you work out a deal with a team that's 15 spots above you, there's only two guys left in that tier that you have. You feel like this team's willing to barter. We've got to make the deal now. If we want to get one of these two guys or we think there's a – major drop-off between the the talent that comes next. What's really interesting about this, and I keep coming back to that fourth-round pick because it's it's sort of um, an example for a lot of a lot of these talking points, is that, you know, NFL.com had um, Shamari, Shamari Connor yep. as a seventh-round pick. The Athletic had him as, like, a sixth-round pick. Pro Football Focus had him, what, like 190, maybe, something 199. like that? 199. Um, which is, like, a late sixth, early seventh-round pick. The Chiefs trade up to get him in the fourth round. So there's a disconnect somewhere. It's everybody on the outside has this guy graded too late, or the Chiefs' intel is wrong about what other teams are thinking. Um, and, you know, I've said this before, but I th- it's, it's most likely it's all of us on the outside that don't have the intel right about where a player's going to go. But I can't think of a better example since I've been covering the Chiefs of needing to trade up for a guy that most people have as a sixth or seventh round pick and you're getting him in the fourth round. There's just not been a better example of just like how far off, you know, NFL teams view a player compared to everybody on the outside. We, we know from chatting with people all that goes into it that the average fan, even, even those of us that cover these teams, don't know about with a lot of these prospects Guys are off their board before the draft starts. There's nobody that has a mock draft that the somebody is just off his board. Like he factors into every mock draft. They've got tons of guys, like dozens of players, are just not on their board going into a draft. But we rarely see it, this inverse example to where somebody just leaps like 80 spots, 75 <laughs> spots over all the mock draft projections. So that that one was a really out of left field pick in the fourth round. I, I think the other, I can just even pull it bigger picture, Sam. What I compliment the Chiefs the most for, I think the last year, I always talk about they never paint themselves in a corner. 
They never act out of desperation. They always have avenues available, even going into the draft. They needed offensive tackle, but sort of. They had it kind of covered. They needed edge rusher, but sort of. They kind of had it covered. And they needed a receiver, but sort of. They kind of had it covered. Uh, it just felt like once they didn't get whatever receiver it was in the first round that they tried to trade up for, either Zay Flowers or Quentin Johnson, depending on where you think their board fell, that they sort of laser focused in. I mean, you even saw on the Chiefs' Twitter page uh, that Brett Veach had the comment to say, "My uh, the owner, Clark Hunt, asked me this morning what the, what the protocol was today, and the protocol was to go get an SMU receiver. So it, it just it's so different from how they've operated and won. You know what I mean? Like like they have never done this where they say we have to get Rasheed Rice or the whole thing is out the window. And again, at that time, Cedric Tillman was still available. Uh, Marcus Mims or Marvin Mims was still available. Jalen Hyatt was still available. All three of those guys consensus boards above Mims, a guy I like think, Rasheed Rice. Mims, I think, went in that pick. That they gave up. Yeah, that's right. But but, um, that's right. but but all three of those guys consensus boards higher, and it just felt like, again, um, the Chiefs. There's nothing wrong with trusting your board. It just almost was like, not is trusting their board, but not caring what the outside world thought, and then not being patient enough to just wait it out. I think Rasheed Rice probably would have been there eight picks later, and if he wasn't, then these other three receivers were, and he probably. You can trust your people, and obviously the Chiefs do based off how they drafted last year. And, and by you talked about this. The benefit of the doubt is given to the teams that are successful. Over time, though, we kind of learned through studies that a lot of this is a crapshoot, and a lot of these generic boards are pretty right over time. And the teams that do well are just kind of making boring picks. So this just this was a little different from the Chiefs. I, I always have complimented them on just always kind of doing the very rational, boring thing. And then for picks two, three, four. They did something different, and that's just kind of a change in philosophy, I think, from what we've seen from them in the last couple of years. And a quick qualifier about last year. Oh, I'll just say this real quick. That, that last year, they, they may never have a class like that again. I mean, right? I mean, yeah. but, I, I, but to your point, like, um, okay, what happened? McDuffie fell, so they moved up and got him. They didn't think he was going to be able there. Karloftis, most people had him first-round pick. They took him there. Sky Moore, some people had him first-round pick. They let the value fall to them. I mean, that yeah. is so different from what they did this draft. You know what I mean? Like last, like last, year, was, year, last the, year was the outlier, though, because they've done this a lot. I mean, McCall Hardman, Breland Speaks, like this is a pretty typical Brett Veach draft to me as far as they like a specific guy, they go up and get that guy. The criteria is that a lot of times going to get your guy isn't statistically been the best thing to do, and the Chiefs have drafted well enough to where – They've not always been part of the example, but when you look at the guys they traded up to get historically, you know, I think McCall Hardman actually fits his draft position mm. at 56 overall. They traded up to get him, though, and I think that's been a lot of what has hurt the outside perception as far as what McCall Hardman brings them, but Braylon Speaks certainly, certainly didn't. They've had other guys that they traded up that certainly didn't. Um, but again, I wasn't I wasn't as displeased with trading up this year because I don't think it was. I mean, the consensus was it was not a deep draft class, and so I thought once you get rid of sixth and seventh round picks for the Chiefs, that's the end of the sixth, the end of the seventh. So it's basically like undrafted free agent territory, and it's early seventh round territory. That wasn't that bothersome to me. That's why trading next year's fifth really sticks out to me because that is a valuable piece, and I know they got one back. Nothing says you couldn't have two of them next year. Though. They were set up with their roster, what they have, and just winning the Super Bowl to make a lot of those trades backs or at least not harm themselves in the future 
because of what you said, Sam. If you want to trade this year's picks, okay, you know, you used up the resources, even yeah. though there might be available avenues to trade out of it and get next year value. But they were just in such a good position to potentially use that to your advantage. When other teams have needs, you take advantage of that desperation from them. But again, it felt like the desperation flip switch flipped on the Chiefs a little bit, and they got a little bit desperate for to get their guys. Now, Vi, your point is valid. Like, if they're right on Rasheed Rice, that's what we're going to remember this draft by. You know what I mean? And I do think they deserve credit at 31 for sitting there and taking Felix and getting an edge rusher and getting a guy uh, that they like in that spot and not panicking and having to move up and do those sorts of things. But I do feel like that was the two avenues they kind of felt like they went down. Once they took Felix and did not trade up, it felt like we're going to go get all the rest of our guys on the board no matter what draft picks it took because... They almost traded up and used three or four of those picks this year to go get that receiver most likely in the first round. So it felt like once they didn't use those resources, they said, well, now we're going to get this guy on our board, this guy on our board, this guy on our board. They succeeded in all those. Uh, Again, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, right now, they definitely have trust in those guys. And they put some pressure on themselves, as you talked about, Sam, with like a Breland Speaks or a a McCall Hardman. They put some pressure on themselves to be right by trading up to get them. So if I'm hearing you all correctly, and I think I am, you all agree with me that the Chiefs failed this draft. So, uh, <laughs> no, no, nobody fails a draft. Um, some are better than others. I want to go back to something. So uh, some some teams fail the draft. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kind of think of it like. Well, you have to be uh, to, to me to fail a draft. You have to be a really bad team, right? Because you got to be picking closer to the top, and you know, the, the quarterback or the rush end that. With, that was regarded highly fails at some for some whatever reason. Yeah. I kind of think of the draft like you're driving to a destination, and some people wreck the car on the way there, so you don't even get there. Like the Chiefs got to their destination, you know, they they got there safely. It just you know, at, other teams probably wreck themselves off the road. <laughs> one one point about uh, uh, I'm not pronouncing it right. Is it Chamari Connor? Is that how he pronounces yeah, it? Chamari. Chamari. Yeah. Um, I thought it was More interesting. More importantly, it's how we pronounce it. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I, I did think it was interesting that um, it was emphasized uh, what a special teams addition he's going to be, a four-phase guy. Remember how bad, uh, surprisingly bad, special teams were during the regular season last yeah, year? Yeah. I thought that, that that pick was made with special teams in mind. I mean, we saw the video on Chiefs' uh, social media and Spags talking to him. I mean, it's a Spags guy. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the other part about this. Like, what were we, I, I wasn't here, but what were you guys thinking when they took Legarius Sneed a few years back? I mean, this guy seems to be Legarius Sneed mold. He can play they all did, the positions. They didn't have the same depth at um, that time that they do now. And, you know, I mean, they needed a corner to play right away. Uh, they don't need a safety to play right away if – Certainly the nickel is going to be part of the equation, I think, with Shamari Connor, though. Uh, it just seems like the mold of what he is, the versatility, being able to play different positions, it sort of falls into the what Spags does love. You could tell he was really happy to get him on the phone. And you mentioned the special teams player. That's definitely going to play a part of it. We have to mention the RAS scores, the relative athletic scores. A bunch of the Chiefs scored really high on that. That's something they had last year as well. So it seems like that's a kind of a, a preference that they have, and it seems like a pretty good I think a pretty good strategy to have if you're going to go down late and just take guys that are athletic and see if you can coach them up. So he falls into that as well. But, um, yeah, I think the, the main thing is what we were talking about, is to, to, to trade up for a guy who seemed lower on the consensus boards. It's There was just some maybe disconnect there where potentially you still could have gotten the guy without using the resources, especially future resources, and um, the Chiefs just did not wait for that. So now the pressure is on them and Shamari Connor to, to produce and produce right away. 
Snead was a day one starter. I'm not sure Connor is a day one starter. He was. Starter. Brashad Breland was suspended um, for the first couple weeks of that season, which made him a starter. He performed really well. He had interception on yes. two against the Chargers, yep. I believe. Early, it was year. definitely early. Um, that was Justin Herbert's uh, uh, professional debut after the Terod Taylor incident. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he w- was good early. Um, but, again, I, I, I don't – I mean, first of all, safety is – I think you can move a bad cornerback to become an average safety. Um, so just wasn't really – that pick didn't wow me among them all. I, in fact, I texted a couple people. The Chiefs are off to a really um, peculiar start on day three here after they made that mm. move to get that guy. Why wasn't I even on that text? You were sitting next to me. Did oh. I have to text you? <laughs> I think I reacted when you that said, happened. Usually you like to tell us everything. I think you showed him the text. Yeah, I, just, I think I said out loud, what are they doing here? <laughs> well, that's how you said it to me, yeah. Hey, to, to not be negative Nancy's, I mean, we can talk about good picks too. I mean, I thought Felix, for what they did to not panic and go up, um, he fits their profile, 21 years old. Obviously, he's got the hometown thing, but could be a really good pick for him. Wanye Morris, I know they moved up for him, but only three spots but yep. he has the athletic profile at tackle, and they kind of have that Oklahoma connection now with those guys coming Bunch in. Bunch of them. A yeah. lot of really smart people out there when it comes to offensive line. Brandon Thornton, one of them, just basically saying that this is a really good fit for the Chiefs to be able to get this guy, and they need some competition at tackle. I thought Keandre Coburn was probably, I had it rated as their best pick of the draft. Sixth round, you get a defensive interior player, potentially goes next to Chris Jones, and again, this is the opposite of what they normally did. This is a guy that fell down the boards a little bit, more projected as a fourth or fifth round pick to get him that late and kind of get um, that position of need at that point in the draft. I thought it was a really good pick. So, uh, again, they took positions of need. They took places where they could get really good surplus value. Uh, so all those things I think they deserve credit for. It just how they got there is, is sort of an interesting thing, and, and it definitely, to me, is a pivot from what they have done, at least they did last year, if you want to put it that way, Sam, because they have been aggressive in some other years before that. I'm curious about your feelings about Rasheed. I, I feel like they really like him. I think he's just different. I mean, I, I tried to get at this with the question of Brett Veach yesterday about you have a, no wide receivers on your team, is he still the guy you're taking? Versus you have these specific wide receivers on the team and therefore he's the guy you're taking because it certainly points to the latter scenario. We don't hear... Like we're hearing that he's he's good after the catch, but a very specific type of good after the catch, which is he breaks tackles. Comes a running back. And when you talk about a guy a receiver breaking tackles after the catch, you're anticipating he's going to be catching the ball in traffic. Andy redesigns plays so guys catch the ball in open space, not so they're specifically so they're not catching the ball in traffic, which tells me he's going to fit into that X role that you know Juju played mostly last year, and therefore he's going to be catching a lot of underneath stuff. You know he's not a, a burner. The Chiefs usually like to draft speed at that position. It's what they prioritize above all else, including height. He's taller than anybody they have at that position other than Marquez. Um, he's not particularly fast, and they keep talking about him uh, as after the catch, breaking tackles. So I think it's pretty clear he's going to be an underneath wide receiver. I, I should at least throw this out there, too. Like We know he played catch with Mahomes. Right. And the first round, the Chiefs... Like I said, we're probably trying to go up for a receiver, and they didn't get it from Mahomes. So you go to sleep, you know, you get up the next day, and, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, at this point, like, how much do you cater to your future Hall of Fame all-world quarterback and just say, 
we're going to get your guy. And, and that's the cost of doing business because you have Patrick Mahomes. And he liked the guy, and he worked out with him. Obviously liked the guy because he was tweeting about it and was very happy that the Chiefs made that pick. Um, again, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's the best decision-making process. I don't know if they, he could have played catch with the other 40 receivers if he wouldn't have liked other guys more. It just it does make you wonder how much that played into it. And the fact that the Chiefs didn't get a receiver in the first round, then you have to go to bed and think about it and sleep on it and then know that he likes this guy. This is his guy. He played catch with him. He liked the way he ran routes or whatever. That just becomes your pick. And that becomes your pick that you trade up for because you want to make sure that he's happy. Uh, so I don't want to discount that. And, again, I don't have any inside info on that. It just it does make you wonder about that part of that. And it potentially can make you understand a trade-up because um, maybe they were just getting Mahomes' guy. Great stuff, guys. Um, we're going to hear from a lot of these rookies on Sportsbeat KC Podcast next Monday and Tuesday, so be sure to stay tuned. Then We're going to take a break now. We still need to talk about Kansas City's performance with the NFL Draft. We're back on Sportsbeat KC without Sam McDowell <laughs> and Jesse Newell. He walks out on us. Totally walked out on us, uh, but... The best is here by Hey Gregorian. And That's what I like to hear, Blair. Good intro. <laughs> we're going to um, we're going to talk about the NFL draft. Uh, continue talking about the draft, but the um, kind of the not the business end, but the celebration end at um, how it played at can't at, uh, at Union Station and the National World War One Museum and Memorial. As we look out the window, maybe this is I've said it a f- during a few podcasts. This is probably the last time I'll get to say it. We can look out the window from where we're sitting and see. The stage um, in front of Union Station, and uh, it's going down. Uh, the The covers are off, um, I suppose, by the end of the week or maybe early next week. It will all be gone, and all traces of the NFL draft in Kansas City will have disappeared. You and I went out on Thursday and watched the first few picks from in front of Union Station, and it was impressive. It, it was. It was, it was just a, it was a great show. I... I um, we can we can nitpick a little bit some of the criticisms that we've heard uh, about the draft, but for a not just a first time the draft is here event, but the first time, and we'll use their estimates, a hundred thousand people it, it came to one area in a sports related um, event. I I don't know how it could have gone better for Kansas City. I felt like we were out there. Um it, it was a little bit of this sense of, like, I, I can't believe we get to be here and that this happens to be here. And understanding that the event itself is a great reflection of the NFL's ability to manufacture an event, right? Mm, I mean, No doubt about it. It's, uh, you know, for, for basically a, a reading of a list. <laughs> <laughs> or as one of our colleagues said, something that could be done via email. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, in fact, used to be done by... You know, postcard or telegram. Yep. Um, nonetheless, it, it, the, the point is, it, it has been built into a spectacle, and I think it was sort of a, not sort of, it was a privilege for Kansas City to get to host it, and I think a pretty great showcase for the city. It, it was interesting being out there and thinking about the week. I, I got thinking about it a little bit in the context of the World Cup, and I got thinking about a little of the context of the Olympics, and the Olympics, of course, had the opening ceremony. And Kansas City didn't have a latitude to quite do its opening ceremony, and um, but it contoured it, and with the cooperation of the NFL, obviously, into something that was Kansas City-centric. And 
I think that was a, a great color flourish and I think important to distinguish where this is happening. It just so happens to be happening in the city that won the Super Bowl. And, you know, I, there, we, we, you know we were talking about this, a little, little social media grumbling and mm-hmm. some resentment probably, all that. To me, they, they really just showed the blueprint. I mean, that's, that's what you ought to do. Yeah, when, when it's your ter- when it's your time to pick, and yeah. you're the Super Bowl champion, you better puff out your chest a little bit. Yeah, you got three you take Lombardis. Take advantage of that. Bring, bring, bring out that third Lombardi. Yep, yep. And I, you can speak to this in a lot of ways better than I can. You can speak to a lot of things better than I can. But, you know, I wasn't here for most of the 50 years in between Super Bowls for the Chiefs. And, you know, I've been fortunate to be here for them winning two of the last four. And... I figure that 50 years gives you the right also to to say we're speaking to our city now. Um, this is a reflection of a, of a of a dramatic change after years of just just you know wrenching playoff losses, <laughs> all that uh, you know. And and then I kind of come back to the other thing too, which is you know you don't like it, just beat them. Right, right. I mean, right. I don't mean to be Mr. Civic old... Progress here, but I, I just yeah. and also the other thing too. People grumbling about it, like they're. I think they're grumbling about both ends of the bookends of the thing. Like the Kansas City start with, you know, first it was the David Keckner and Rob Riggle video, and then I thought the the rather uh, fascinating uh, the Heidi uh, Gardner and Eric Stone Street bit booing Roger Goodell on stage, yeah. and Mahomes and Kelsey. Right. That was like three minutes. Yeah, right. I throw uh, Shields and Dante and, Hall and in Shields. There. Yeah, and and you Chiefs Hall of Famer Dante Hall. Yeah. But I mean, seriously, it was no more than five minutes. Right. And to Absolutely. act like this was like a, you know some some, some uh, you know some big offense, huge distraction <laughs> from the from the, the list reading, the spirit, the spirit of the list reading. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, and plus, finally, I mean, yeah, it's whatever. I don't remember what the final numbers were on TV audience that night. Was it more than ten million? Uh, y- yes. Usual? Uh, the the three day total. The, the the first night was about eleven point three million. Yeah. And then the three-day total over all platforms was fifty-four and a half million. Fifty-four and a half million, but you know, a good. What do you think, Blair? Three-fourths of the crowd in person, two-thirds. Yeah, maybe more. Two-thirds of the crowd in person in the bowl. Is that what we call it? The bowl. Let's the, let's call it that. The theater, right? In the there theater, you go, the theater area, was was Chiefs fans, right? Right. And is so this, for their yeah. for their time and expense um, and their enthusiasm here, giving them five minutes at the beginning and five minutes at the end, I don't think is too much to you know no to, no it's to, to begrudge them you know. And I tell you, I mean, I've kind of gotten going too much on that point, but I don't know what what anyone would have seen of Kansas City in that that didn't seem appealing. Now, I grant you, we and again, there's, there's this is not a. Um, Oz. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's issues here in Kansas City, but there's a lot of great stuff going on that I think deserves to be accentuated and visible. And and I, it looked to me like that that showed that shined through. And and really having it at that epicenter, um, with also what the great the great work the World War One Museum did uh, to absolutely with the, the poppies and and oh. I, I just. That, Gorgeous! Oh, the memorial at night uh, w- with the poppies was—if you had told me that that's what they were going to do, I would have said, "Well, that's a nice idea." But then to see it, yeah, it was overwhelming. It, yeah. The colors were bright, yeah. and I—I 
I, I just stared at it for for a while. It was it was gorgeous. I I hope I don't, I don't know what it cost to yeah you know to keep to keep that. But I hope hope that continues. Am I right that the only time it's been lit up before was for the hundredth uh, year of the Maybe, armistice? I, I don't or, I don't know that. It was, yeah, I'm not sure of that either. Um, but, but, what I don't go ahead. No, I was going to say, but. What an attraction that would be in a conversation piece. You're driving by it on I-35 going north or south, and kids in the car saying, what is that? And why why is it lit up? And what's the story behind the poppies on, on at that yeah. memorial? So that, anyway. Look, that's a great point. I mean, St. Louis went back and forth on lighting the arch. Hmm. When it was lit, and I don't know what the status is now, but when it was lit, it, I mean, really, at night you could see it for 20 miles, and it was just it's just such a beckoning thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I, what I was starting to say, I, I don't know if you have more of a feel for this than I do, but what I don't know is how much Kansas City, you know, did get, like, you know, did we have cameras at, at the Nelson? Did we, were there cameras at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum? Um, you know, did the, I, I, hopefully shots caught the Kaufman uh, behind, behind Union Station, but I, I don't remember seeing those specifically. Right. So I don't know how much of that got shown off so to speak um i know bob kendrick our friend at the negro leagues baseball museum did tell me he had he had a on stage with i think it was nfl network for a few minutes oh good things like that you had to you had to see it all yeah right right exactly it's it's on different networks and so you had to choose if you weren't in a room that had both yeah 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 exactly could vary from network Right. I've heard nothing but good things about the way the city was presented uh, throughout, and especially on Saturday. That's when a lot of the, you know, it, the, the the coverage starts to get a little monotonous, and you got to come up with different things to say. I know that on Saturday is when they, it was suggested Mel Kuyper should be in the Hall of Fame oh, because yeah. of the basically they created the the modern draft. But uh, but they're very complimentary about Kansas City. And I got a statement yesterday from the NFL. That said, what you what you might expect it to say that Kansas City was just overwhelming and uh, uh, did a great job. I guess it means I didn't ask, but I guess it means that it could be in the running for doing this again in the future. Certainly not before the World Cup, yeah. which is here in twenty twenty six. But I I could see, you know, if there's a rotation of these things, other cities will want it, of course. Yeah, Charlotte, I know, has made a they've made a point. They had people here and. And, and they want it, so why not? The cities that aren't going to be Super Bowl cities yeah. would be in line to get the NFL draft. Is is the thinking, I know in your advance, one of your 75 advanced stories about this, <laughs> at, at least uh, you spoke with one of the NFL people about, I thought she almost said with some certainty, like, okay, oh yeah, I can't see yeah, anything yeah. back in it. Yep. And, but to your, your broader point, is this going to be... Is 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 it's going to continue on this arc where cities that won't host Super Bowls is that is that almost a cri- a, a set in stone criteria? Yeah, it kind of is. Like, um, if you can't host a Super Bowl, you can do it here. Right. Do this. this this is your this yeah. is the NFL's way yeah. of, um, of presenting you. Or, yeah, 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 and 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 giving you a shot at the you know the the, the income other markets yeah. that are in warmer climates. Although Detroit, I guess, could host a Super Bowl. Yeah, and it has has hosted a Super Bowl. Yeah. But I think this is an indication that it has hosted its last Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to tell And look, us? it was in Las Vegas last year. So, yeah, yeah. But, it, but it was also in Cleveland a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. But maybe, and still, I'm sure it, the concept evolves. And, yep, and, yep, yep. So, well, it, it's interesting. And, you know, one of the things, I know you had Kathy Nelson as your guest yesterday. Um, I, I, I'm sorry I haven't heard that yet, but I, what, you may or may not have spoken about this, but I do wonder what 
uh, the takeaway from this as it applies to the preparing for the World Cup is? And all I can think about is, yeah, this is three or four days. That's going to be geometrically more of a footprint and a longer period of time. Right. Um, um, of course, the World Cup officials were here. FIFA officials yeah. were here during the draft. Um, so they, they were here on the Friday of the draft, got in uh, early, like, crack or 3 a.m. Friday morning. Oh, yeah, yeah. They had to pick and them then, up. And, yeah, yeah. Someone had to go to the airport, slip out to the airport at 3 a.m. But um, but then they, they, they spent all day Friday at the, at the draft and did not leave until Saturday. So they got a full, you know, complete uh, experience here. Uh, and according to Kathy Nelson, they liked what they saw, of course. But I think their, their big motive was to determine whether or not the Liberty Memorial area yeah. could be used as a fan fest site yeah. for, for their needs. And I imagine just uh, they spent more time on the south side of the lawn than they yeah. did on the north side. South side is where the NFL experience and all the fan interaction activities were. So uh, I can't imagine they were they left unimpressed. They, they, they had to be impressed with what they saw yeah. here. Um, and uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, the idea is uh, the, 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 the FIFA hasn't told its North American cities what it wants to do FanFest-wise, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that a city could have as many as two. They get multiple FanFests, one at Union Station here and another one in front of the Nelson, uh, that that grassy area that, that uh, yeah. crosses Kansas into the City's park. Kansas City's lawn, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, crosses into the park across the street. Yeah. So we, we know that FIFA likes Kansas City, Yeah. Um, and we'll see. FIFA had to enjoy what I assume is its first uh, time flying into the new airport. I uh, we we should we should get a comment. Yeah, um, because uh, previously they flew into the old airport. Yeah, yeah, and I I think we know this right that this this airport uh, was, you know, this this bid was predicated on the new airport. It was. Part, it was. Right? I, yeah. I just hope the FIFA officials weren't standing outside, <laughs> cars backed up, waiting to get picked up. <laughs> Car in the cell lot. I think the last report of this was that they they actually had people, you know, clearing that out again last week. Um, but it does seem to be cyclical. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how they. Uh, I think it's got to be a rewiring of an entire mindset of the region of, you know, how you pick up people at the airport. <laughs> right. All right, Vahe. Um, it's been fun talking to you about the NFL draft and the Chiefs. Sadly, next week we're going to pick up the Royals. And maybe a little sport in Kansas City. Well, let's as see. Well. That's a week from now, Blair. And you know, things change in baseball, or they don't. That's right. We'll see. That's like a ship turning in the ocean. <laughs> that's how. That's how quickly things change in baseball. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our producer Randy Mason for putting together the show, and to our Sportsbeat Casey staff of Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Scott Chasen. Tip of the cap to our terrific writers Sam McDowell, Vahe Gregorian, and Jesse Newell for sharing their insights. Morning Sports Edition was packed with plenty of local news and complete coverage of the NBA and NHL playoffs, baseball, golf. I really enjoyed reading about how Justin Thomas has changed his diet. Much, much more. Check it out at liveedition.kansascity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Beat KC, where we talk sports in Kansas City every day. <laughs>